What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It's Friday, and you know what that means. A brand new conversation with a content marketer out there who's doing some cool things. And I'm pumped up for this one. I've got Cassandra Joed, who's the Senior Director of Marketing at Path Factory. We cover a lot of ground in this one. We talk about why it's important to improve the content consumption experience, something that is near and dear to my heart. What is the future of content marketing and what are some of the obstacles in the way and how can we eliminate those as members of the content marketing community? It's really good. Get out your notepad. If you like what you've been hearing on the 3C Podcast, hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review if you think we're doing a good job. We appreciate that. Make sure you go check out thejuicehq.com. Sign up for our newsletter. You're going to hear all the information you need about what we're doing, things we're putting on. If you're liking this show, definitely get on the newsletter. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. All right, everyone, welcome back to the 3C Podcast. I am excited for today's conversation. I am joined by Cassandra Joette, the Senior Director of Marketing at Path Factory. Path Factory is certainly a company, as I've been ramping up, uh, looking into content in the B2B space, a company that I certainly have enjoyed their content and their brand delivery and um, how they're positioning themselves in the marketplace. So funny, the connecting with just different marketers, um, Cassandra and I were in the same group and started chatting and here we are today. So uh, without further ado, how are you doing today, Cassandra? I'm doing well, thanks. Excited to be here and to have a conversation about topics that I love ranting about. Yes, I love it, ranting. There's going to, as we record this, it's Monday morning, but we're going to be bringing the energy, that's for sure. Um, maybe we start here. So I was doing, you know, the research and a little investigation of my own to try to make sure I, I had everything to talk about with you and learning kind of where you came from and hit your LinkedIn profile, definitely. And one of the things that stood out to me that I'd love to hear you talk about is you describe yourself as a, a multidisciplinary marketing Swiss army knife, which I enjoy that. And I love that. And I think it's so important just as any marketer out there is trying to get up to speed and elevate their career to do different things within marketing and just learn how these different pieces work. So I, I'd love to hear you talk about that in that descriptor and your just experience in general. Sure. I mean, I've always been part of earlier stage companies, which, you know, just out of necessity, you have to be a bit of a Swiss army knife. You can't, you can't be a one trick pony because there's so much that needs to get done. And, they're just not going to hire, you know, a whole team to, to fill out every possible specialty around you. So as someone who just kind of fell into marketing at a company that was completely bootstrapped originally, and I was the only person doing any kind of marketing work. And I also had no idea what marketing was. I just kind of figured it out as I went along and did more of the things that worked and tried to do fewer of the things that didn't work or that took up too much of my time or whatever it is. So you know, really, it just comes from that exploration of what marketing can be uh, at, at a certain company. And then, you know, also learning a bit more about what interests me as a marketer. So as someone with a, an education and some experience in journalism, content was a natural path for me. But 
you know, there's a lot that goes into making content successful. And a big part of it is, of course, distribution and measurement and trying to understand the metrics that surround that. So the further I got along in my content career, the more I realized that I had to pay attention to other parts of marketing. If I wanted my career to keep moving forward, if I wanted to progress into leadership roles, because, you know, without that, I I really couldn't know whether my content was successful. I couldn't justify my existence as a content marketer. There are so many different reasons to be curious about, you know, all the different pieces that come together to to make content successful, even on the the customer marketing side, like you need um, customers in order to tell great stories about your company, because, you know, what they say is so much more interesting than what your, your executives have to say or your employees. So, you know, it really just came from understanding what goes into great content and um, wanting to dig into those a little bit more to understand how they all work together. I love it. And there's so much there that we're going to talk about. I love the fact that, you know, no one, it's it, it, everyone I talk to, no one's like, all right, I went to school to be a B2B marketer and now I'm going to go do B2B marketing. That's not how it works. It's no. like, it's the experiences. And I think that's such a critical piece of growing and elevating your career. And I want to get into obviously a majority of this around the content discussion and what you're seeing on the current B2B space. But one thing I want to, I'm curious of since you've kind of, worked in these different disciplines and there's some uh, delivery at my uh, step class. Like this happens every time I record a podcast. (laughs) Um, But I'd love to know, like in terms of your hiring and the different roles you hire for, knowing that there's not hard and fast roles around experience and training. And you, you know, do you look for other potential Swiss army knives when you're hiring? Like what's your process in bringing new marketers on the path factory team? Mm -hmm. It really depends on, you know, the current makeup of the team and and what the needs of the company are. But definitely, I think, especially on small teams, that Swiss army knifeness is really important and and especially in key roles. So, you know, I've worked at companies where, for example, people doing demand gen campaigns can barely write a sentence, you know, not, not literally, but you know, they're, they don't feel confident in their writing and the writing just isn't good. And that is not great in my opinion, because a lot of any marketing is just writing and communication and making things simple and clear and entertaining for the audience. And if you're doing any kind of demand gen or growth or whatever roles and and you're not investing in writing skills, for example, that just makes you less appealing to me as a manager for sure. And, you know, I've definitely invested a lot in my team and the people who are not in content roles to help them become better writers so that all of that work isn't getting funneled or bottlenecked through a content person or a content team, because that was an experience that I had at past companies where, you know, the demand gen team, demand gen and programs folks couldn't really write that well. And so everything got pushed through me and my team and it just reduced the amount of time that we could actually spend creating content assets that had more of a purpose than just getting people to like open an email or, you know, click on an ad or whatever. And like, those things are super important, of course, but they often lead to the larger content assets and every demand gen team wants more of those larger assets to be able to promote. So if the content team is spending all of their time and energy, just writing those hooks for demand gen, then like, that's not great. So definitely there are, I think there's a level of coachability that has to be there and a level of curiosity about other types of marketing skills beyond just, oh, I'm an amazing growth hacker, or I'm a great operational marketer. You, know, you really have to think about 
all the different things that come together to make you successful in your role and, and, you know, hard skills like, oh, I know how to use Marketo and (laughs) I can use a couple of different channels from an ad perspective. That's great. But if you can't actually deliver the whole (laughs) program that's going out on those channels or write the emails that are being sent out through Marketo, then that's a problem because especially on small teams, you just don't have entire services built into the company to to support you. And you really have to get that out there. So that's part of it. And, you know, most recently I was hiring for a content marketing manager role, which is very close to my heart since I, you know, came up through content and, you know, certainly just an awareness about other types of marketing and understanding of how they all fit together is really, really critical. You know, writing skills are, of course, the number one thing that you might look for writing experience, but finding someone who can understand how content fits into the bigger B2B marketing picture is really important to work in content, but especially at a company like Path Factory, where you do have to understand at B2B companies, how all of these pieces fit together. That's even more important. Oh, and there's my phone. So <laughs> we both we both got it. I love it. No, you you brought you brought so so many nuggets in there. I think the thing that stands out for me the most is, you know, what you said around. There's this trend, and it's like, well, growth hack, and how can we get there quicker, and how can we generate more leads, and how can we do this faster? But at the end of the day, when you're bringing on people, I hold, I, I, this is kind of my philosophy too. It's like they need to be able to write at some level because writing is the foundation and the building blocks for everything we do in marketing. And I I think there's a trend where there's more focus around the words and more focus around skills to produce stories that is a positive in terms of where B2B marketing might be headed. I know Mm -hmm. we're going to probably get into some of the maybe not so good stuff, but before we jump into it, I'd love for you to just share a, a little bit about Path Factory, like what Path Factory does, your, who your customers are, um, and kind of your position in the market. Sure. So Path Factory is the intelligent content platform for B2B marketers. And mostly when I say B2B marketers, I mean enterprise and larger mid-market organizations that have pretty sophisticated marketing operations. They are investing a lot of money and, and people and resources into content production and content delivery to their audiences. And the goal of that is really to move people through the buying journey or down the funnel, however you want to position it and, you know, get them educated on what you do and ultimately turn them into a customer. And then once they become a customer, can you turn them into a better customer through content? So that's, you know, as simple as I can put it, it's a pretty complex piece of software. So I won't get into the nitty gritty details, but it allows you to deliver content on any channel in a more engaging way. Um, And then of course, measure engagement with that content on the other side. So you can understand what's working, what's not working and uh, bring that intelligence back into your marketing strategy. So, so what is it like for you as a marketer in B2B in, in leading content and content roles that are trying to reach out to other B2B marketers who work in content? Is, is there anything that you and your strategies have to do different in order to keep and maintain their attention? Or is it, do you find it easier because it's, they're speaking the similar language as you and your role? I would say it's both easier and harder at the same time. Marketing to marketers is such a privilege because you are your customer in a lot of senses. You know, although Path Factory as a company is smaller than most of our customers, you know, a lot of our customers are the, the Cisco's and the IBM's and, you know, those types of organizations that are massive and it's hard to 
for me to understand as someone who's always worked at startups, the scale of those things. So that's one thing. But at the same time, um, you, know, you, really, you really understand the, the personas, the goals, the um, needs and wants of those people. And so you can, you know, you can kind of infer a little bit more than if you were selling to IT people or whatever, because you, you're doing that job every day and, and you're fully immersed, hopefully, in what needs to happen. The other side of it is that marketers have extremely high expectations for the marketing that they encounter with. There's no pulling the wool over their eyes. You can't trick them. They understand how everything works. And so you have to be really innovative and cutting edge in what you do. And you have to be pretty transparent as well because you really can't fool them. So that part is you know, tough sometimes because people will call you on your BS. They will tell you when things are broken, which I appreciate. Um, you know, they will tell you when you're being inconsistent with what they expect. Uh, so you know, I learn a lot from our prospects and customers. And uh, you know, I think it keeps me on my toes because I have to be thinking about how will people like me react to this? And if I know how myself and, and my you know, colleagues and former colleagues and you know, whoever it is might react to this in some back channel chats or whatever, like you kind of have those thoughts in the back of your mind and you're always trying to avoid um, being that topic of conversation that's like, oh, this is bad or this is stupid or whatever it is that marketers say about marketing sometimes. And of course, you know, it's, it can be difficult to entertain and engage marketers because they're so busy and they are really focused on getting their their jobs done. They're used to the sort of whining and dining and perks and benefits. Like if, if you're marketing to maybe a more underappreciated group of people, I would say, um, like, uh, let's just say, you know, city administrators or something like that, where they don't get the perks and they don't get to go to fancy conferences with, you know, fun events. You know, not that any of us are doing that right now, but in the <laughs> past, you know, as marketers, we get to do all kinds of fun things. And so um, you really have to be always stepping up your game and <laughs> finding the latest and greatest thing um, in order to hold their attention and get them talking about you. So there's sort of both sides there for sure. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of me being back into the game, marketing to marketers again, it is it is a privilege, but it's also a quite the challenge. And it's a lot of learning on the fly. Uh, I feel at, at times it's kind of like a comedian, maybe at a small club telling jokes and you figure out what works and what doesn't just in real time, which I appreciate. Um, but I agree, like the more transparency, especially now, the better. I want to talk about the content consumption experience. I think I have, since I've been this show has started and I'm just in the game talking with more and more marketers. Everyone, when I ask the question, like, what do you, what, what do you turn to for inspiration? Who do you turn to? Undeniably, almost everyone picks a B2C company. No one's focusing and in finding inspiration in B2B marketing, which isn't a big sh shocker. But then I, for me, I try to unpack that and think about it. And a lot of it comes down to, well, most B2B companies are delivering pretty bad content consumption experiences from the from the consumer's perspective. So maybe just share some thoughts just in perspective on just the content consumption experience in B2B marketing right now. What are your thoughts? Sure. I mean, I think it's getting better slowly, but certainly for a long time, everything has been optimized around the marketing automation platform and getting data into that so that you can you know, move people down a funnel instead of actually thinking about, oh, there's a human, <laughs> there's a human on the other side of the screen who actually has to go through all of these steps. And so, you know, I think 
number one, it's still relatively common to see forms every step of the way. And even if you've already filled out a form before, even if you're clicking on an email directly from the vendor, you often have to fill out the form again and give your information again. And so even really basic operational best practices like you know, removing a form if you know who someone is um, just isn't always happening. And I think part of that is just, you know, operational skills can be tough to come by at different companies. Everyone's at different stages, but also, uh, you know, everyone has kind of gotten used to measuring the success of their marketing based on things like form fills. And that's really the the best practice for how, how to tell if someone is engaging with your content or not. And certainly, at previous companies, that was the best data that I had to figure out if someone was really looking at, at our content or not. And, you know, you in the absence of that data, it's hard to make decisions about channels and what content to invest in and things like that. So I, I don't want to like rag on marketers too much because you're kind of doing the best that you can with what you do. But there is technology, not just Path Factory, but there are other tools as well that can give you access to different types of data now to help you understand what people are really looking at. And the other the flip side of that is do you really have to know all of that information all the time um, in order to do good marketing? And the answer is is no, you don't. Um, You really need an email address and that is enough to get people through. And if you want to do the progressive profiling and you want to get other data, there's, there's other places to do that. You know, you can backfill your data afterwards. You can look at the account data. Like there's all kinds of interesting things that you can do now in order to get more information about people without being too invasive or creepy. So um, I think as marketers, we have to sort of, instead of being like, oh, I need 10 different form fields and that's the only way to do it, which many, many, especially large companies They require that, you know, in partnering with some um, larger companies, even in the last couple of years, you know, trying to do some co-marketing with them, they'll just say to you, like, unless it has all of these form fields, it's no good to us. So you have to update your form and add all of those things. And you're kind of like, huh, who's actually going to spend the time to fill out that form? So it's really more about, you know, what the company wants. And that's not the best way to approach it. You have to think about, is the human on the other side of the screen actually going to do these things? Are they going to feel good about it while they're doing it? And is it going to make them want to engage enough with our, our content and our marketing campaigns that they actually become educated on what we do and how we can help them? I don't know. You know, is all of that, all of that pain worth a form fill with 12 fields or however many? I just don't think it is. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And I think it's, it's, it's challenging. And I think forms are definitely something that we've all like in anyone who's listening to this, who is working in B2B marketing, who's come up in B2B marketing, everyone has used the form fill experience as a, as a tactic in order to measure KPIs, right? People want to know lead volume. People want to see who's coming in, where they're coming from. And I think it's, it's, we're in this interesting spot in B2B marketing where it's, there's this thing that we've always been doing. However, there's this other thing that's happening uh, on the other side of, you know, people can go buy something on Amazon and it can show up on your doorstep in hours. People can go turn on their TV and watch whatever they want to watch in full seasons in, you know, a six hour time span. It's like the, choice we all as consumers have these choices to make and it seems like the more roadblocks that are along the way for us as consumers as we're making choices people just 
say, all right, this is getting too difficult. I'll just go move on to the next one. So just that path factory, knowing that, yes, forms are what we've always done. Yes, there are some roadblocks with forms. How are you thinking about kind of the brand side and also the demand side at the same time? Like what, what types of things are you thinking about to make sure you're not putting a bunch of roadblocks in potential future customers way when they're trying to learn about you? I mean, I think the big one is we just don't use forms unless we absolutely have to. And so if you engage with any of our content assets, you'll notice that you can just get into them. I think that the one exception is when we when we license, um, say, an analyst report or something, we often put a form there. But if it's any of our own content, which is, you know, basically, you know, it's our point of view, we're trying to convince you as a buyer that um, this is something you should care about. Like, why do I need to put a barrier in your way? And you know, I, there was a debate in the Slack that we're both a part of recently about this, you know, why should I have to give you my information to read your opinion? Um, you know, and there's this long history in B2B of, oh, we've created this high value content asset. And if you're listening to the podcast, I'm putting this in air quotes um, right now. So people should have to give us their information in exchange for that that high value asset. And it's it's not a high value asset, it's marketing. You're trying to convince people to buy whatever it is you're selling or at least believe whatever it is you're espousing to them. So uh, why would you wanna put barriers in front of that when there are already so many challenges in getting them to think the way that you want them to think and to buy the things you want them to buy? So definitely on our team, we try to use forms as little as possible. And when we do, we make them engagement-based forms. And this is my big recommendation for marketers uh, to think about making the jump from forms on everything to forms on nothing. Cause that's a big change for, for marketers, for companies, for, you know, to, to convince executives that this is the way we're going to do it. So using engagement-based uh, gating can be a good middle ground where you are asking people uh, or you're, you're giving people something before you're asking them for something. So you can give them a certain amount of time or a certain number of pages of the asset uh, before the form pops. And my other big thing is make it dismissible. I think people, marketers are very skeptical that anyone would fill out a form if a form is dismissible, but you'd be surprised. We all have that information stored in our browser to make it super easy to fill out the form. And so if you give them a reason to fill it out and say, hey, if you fill this out, we're going to start giving you much more personalized marketing so you can learn more about this topic, like give them a reason versus just a barrier, because that's a big mindset change. And like, it's, it's a really small detail, but it can make such a big difference for you to just like give them a reason to fill it out instead of you have to fill this out to access this content. So it's one of those things where I think if you start thinking about it from the perspective of, I really want them and need them to consume this content and not just so I can measure the engagement, but but so they can actually understand what we're trying to, to convince them of. And they can identify if they have a problem that we have a solution. You know, that's why you create all of this content. It's not just to collect email addresses in these, these hard gates. So yeah, the, the engagement based and dismissible forms are sort of a great stopgap and something that we use a lot on our team to, to still collect data when we have to. But, uh, you know, and I think the, the next step of that is if someone is known, just don't, don't give them a form, like set it up, set your, your system up so that if you know who someone is, if they're clicking from one of your own emails, they should never see a form so that they can just get to the content as quickly and easily as possible. And if they're still cookied, don't give them a form. Like they're, all of these things, which you know seem obvious, but a lot of marketers just haven't set them up that way. And so it just ends up creating all these bad experiences just through simple forms. And you know, there's lots of good data out there about how 
you know, millennials in particular don't love forms and you, you do everything you can to get out of filling out the form. I know for me, if I don't want to be harassed by a salesperson when I'm doing research for content, I often just Google and try to find the PDF available on their WordPress instance or whatever it is. If they didn't set up um, no indexing on Google, which they often have not, then I can just find find the asset that I need and not fill out the form. Um, so I think as our buyers are getting more savvy to that, as they raise their expectations as consumers, um, we have to adapt to that. But also, and the last thing I'll say on this is, as marketers, we should want a better class of data as well. <laughs> um, a form fill is not necessarily a great buying signal because someone could fill out the form and then not actually consume the content or even know what it's about. You know, How many times have you worked at a company where a, a salesperson calls a prospect after they filled out the form, but the prospect has no idea what the salesperson is talking about because they're like, oh, hello, Brett, I see that you read this ebook called blah, blah, blah. And you're like, what, what is it like? What are you even talking about? Cause they didn't read it. They just downloaded it. And so as marketers, like, wouldn't you want to know the difference between someone who filled out a form and someone who actually spent, you know, eight minutes and 15 seconds reading that ebook? Yes, of course. Like I think as marketers, we deserve a better class of data as well. It isn't just based on, you know, these really awkward <laughs> interactions between our buyers and forms. Yeah. When I, when I thought we'd have some some rants going on, and that was that, <laughs> that was that was certainly one, and it was awesome. Uh, okay, so there's so much I want to react to. I think one you mentioned, if you're going to do the form, have some descriptor there. That's such a like small but can be impactful thing where it's like that gives you an opportunity as a company and a brand to just be honest and like use some copy, use some writing to your advantage to let people on the other side know what they can expect. And it could even be like, hey, we promise you our SCR team is not going to follow up with you eight times after you download that. Like if someone put that in front of me, I'd laugh about it and I'd say, all right, let's see what happens now. So I think there's an advantage there. I think something else you talked about in the Slack group and the conversation on gaining high productive value stuff, like my take on that is like most of the time stuff that's high productive or, or, or high, high production value um, in quotes is usually stuff that just took the company a long time and a bunch of resources to create. And it's yeah. their opinions, right? And that's, that's them creating it and it took them time and money. And so they decide, well, if we invested all this time and money in it, we got to put up a gate. Like you're, you're the people coming to read it. Don't care about that. They don't care at all. So I think getting B2B marketing teams to shift their perspective that no one cares about what you're doing and no one cares about how or how long it created, just like you need to make it as frictionless as possible. If you want people to read that, you know? Yeah. So I, I'd love to maybe kind of close out with this side of it, just learning about all of these changes within as all these changes are happening. There are different people with different levels of experience within side organizations and marketing departments, maybe even the C-suite who care about tracking of leads content and forms are a part of this experience. I'm curious, like, how are you thinking about just the communication internally on these shifts and why not to do certain things that might have been the case for uh, the last 10 years? How are you like communicating that and getting buy-in internally that we should not do these things and maybe we should do things that way? Like what kind of conversations are you having? 
I think that a lot of marketers are coming around to the idea that we shouldn't have all of these barriers and they're looking for ways to improve that. But they also, you know, they want their cake. What is that saying? They want their cake and eat it too, or whatever yeah, it is, yeah. um, have their, have your cake and eat it too. So like you want both things. And if you want to prove your worth as a marketer, you have to be able to measure those things. So I think testing is a big thing. So if you don't already have a culture of testing, uh, you know, don't take my word for it. Um, don't take Path Factory's word for it. Your CSM or whoever you're working with of any vendor, set up a test, set up a couple tests. Um, it's not a switch that you have to flip overnight where one day you go from gating everything to gating nothing. Set up a couple tests on some, you know, some bigger assets that you promote all the time and see if that engagement-based gating or and or dismissible form makes a difference. See if you get actually more or the same conversions Plus, you're tracking all the people that you already know who they are. You know, see see what the data looks like. I don't necessarily believe that every single thing in marketing has to be a, a purely data-driven decision. Um, if you have data, great. But like, if you don't, if you're not sure, then just run a test and figure it out. And that can sometimes give you enough buy-in internally to say, okay, we should do more of this. This is working. Um, or at least this is as good as what we're doing today. And it's a better experience for our buyers. So we can move forward with this. So just try to build some confidence around that. We see a lot of our customers running those those kinds of tests um, just to make sure that like they really are making the right decision and they can get the business, they can support the business goals and provide a better experience at the same time. I think that's what all of marketing has to be. How can I generate results for the business and create an amazing experience for our customers and prospects and anyone else who engages with our brand? And so I think the marketers who are really focusing on that are doing well, you know, like I don't think anyone will complain about not having to fill out a form if it, if they can get the same sort of personalization and great content from you. So those tests can just help you with the the buy-in internally. And I think the other thing is, you know, again, to change your perception of what good data is. If everything that you're working off of today is very binary, you know, clicked, didn't click, open, didn't open, filled out the form, didn't fill out the form. Like, is there some more, you know, robust, (laughs) colorful data that you can add into the mix that will allow you to have smarter automation, allow you to make better decisions? And, you know, to me, content engagement data is one of those for sure. Intent data might be another one where you can start to personalize around specific accounts based on that intent data and then get even more specific once they start coming in and engaging with your content and you can bring the content engagement data into the mix. So just kind of layering in those better sources of data to, to help you create that, <laughs> that more robust experience for people is really important. And again, like instead of just assuming everything is a given, communicate with your audience like they're humans. And, you know, I think some growth hackery types have always done this on their like pop-ups. Like, hey, if you don't want to know the latest on all of these awesome things that I'm going to send you, then don't fill out this for me, big loser. Like that's sort of the communication that a lot of people have had on their forms. And it's like, that's just offensive and annoying. Like, how about we try to add a little bit of value and explain what's really going to happen? And this is where you can draw inspiration from those consumer companies. Like if you look at the cookie consent language of some of the smarter brands out there they're literally saying if you allow us to drop a cookie in your browser you're going to get a better experience in all of these ways because we can we can tailor things for you and as a b2b marketer as you move towards layering in that in that different data and and allowing more personalization in your automation 
and you know what you display on your website and in your emails and all that sort of stuff. I think that is a perfectly valid reason to drop a cookie and a perfectly valid reason to fill out a form. So just tell people that. Um, treat them like adults who can give consent about their own privacy and um, what data they're giving up, and they might just surprise you instead of instead of just clicking away or saying no. So you know those are a couple of different things that I think as a as a business you can change your mindset around, and as a marketer you can evangelize um, a little bit internally if you're experiencing some resistance. I hope everybody out there had their notepad. We there was a lot of ground covered in 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 that this short amount of time. We talked about writing, communication, customer marketing, demand generation, working cross-functionally. Indeed, Cassandra, Swiss Army knife. That's how I'm leaving this conversation. Covered a lot of ground. Thank you so much. Maybe before you get out of here, is there anything the audience should know about that Path Factory is working on? Any events, anything coming up? Sure. Yeah. We have an ongoing series called the website of the future, where we interview folks uh, from across many different organizations about what the B2B website could be and should be. And so if you go to our website, you can check that out. Um, We have a conversation with Adobe coming up as well as as some others. So uh, we're really trying to, uh, to talk about, you know, of course, all marketing, but the website in particular, I think, you know, every marketer is always working on their website, but not that much has changed in the last, say, 15 years about B2B websites. So we're trying to talk about how to make them a bit more smarter and more engaging for the audience. I love that. Go check it out. Thank you so much for your time, Cassandra. We'll have to sync back up here soon. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I had a great time meeting with Cassandra. Go check out what Path Factory is doing. I enjoy their marketing. I think you will too. If you like what you've been hearing on the 3C Podcast, hit that subscribe button, leave a review, take care of yourself, take care of others around you, and we'll be back on Monday with a new one.